You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26ers? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. As always, so happy to be with you and so happy to be bringing you another interview. This episode's guest is Gio Doris. Gio is a speaker and the author of The Thirst is Real, a guide dedicated to helping students maximize their full potential. Gio did not have the ideal college experience. By his own admission, he graduated with just two friends and having attended only one club meeting in the entire four years. But if you're an avid listener of the 26er podcast, you know that we believe nothing happens by accident and every experience you have, even if it is a quote failure, is meant to drive you towards your purpose. And Gio is no exception. He is now committed to speaking on every college campus to ensure no student walks away with anything less than the full college experience. He says, after all, it's the dress rehearsal of the life you'll spend the rest of your years living. Without further ado, Please take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Gio Doris, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Very happy to have you. Excited you could be with us this evening. I'm excited. I, I love the concept of the podcast. I cannot wait to get in a conversation with you. And let me just say this. Out of all the folks I have talked to about coming on this podcast, you came to that informational call the most prepared. And that's what I like to hear. You were ready. You were like the most <laughs> eager. You had everything straight. You read the about section. You knew the con. People, I get on these calls and people were like, I don't even understand what the name means and how you came to that name like you knew what was up no nah, so. no nah, you, you you gotta do your homework yes i was, I was <laughs> impressed by your level of preparation so anyway tell me who is geo Doris? wow um that's a loaded question it totally uh, is <laughs> just uh a son of two immigrant parents that came from haiti um who believed that i had they wanted to give me more access to opportunities and i'm just living my life trying to get as many of those opportunities as possible and then helping other people do the same thing yes and we're going to talk a lot about the health that you've been giving in the community, particularly with youth as we get on. So tell me, how do you spend your days now trying to help people and take advantage of as many opportunities as possible? Well, um, taking advantage of the era that we live in now, Mm -hmm. social media just gives us so much access to people. So I just try to pump the social media channels with as much possible positivity as possible. So that's videos, that's reading a lot of stuff just to go and get new content so I could go and bring that to people who don't like reading. Mm-hmm. So I like to do that work for them so that there really is no excuse why you can't get better um, from going from where you are to where it is that you want to be. So is that just your brand putting positivity out on social media? Are there other things that you're doing? Other things. I think, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always um, the thing you're doing and then all the other things that you're yes. doing. And um, the big thing is I Uh, We talk about like goal setting. We talk about vision, how important that is. You know, I think a lot of people who are discouraged, depressed, they really don't have like a vision for like where they want to go. Like a lot of times they adopt the vision that somebody else told them that they have to have. Mm -hmm. So what we do is really just get them creating experiences, bringing dialogues, having conversations that gets them to go and start questioning the things that they think is true and get them to go and see it from a completely different perspective. Okay, so let's dial it back 
back here, when you say getting them to think, who are your clientele? So it ranges. So mm-hmm. predominantly, I'm dominating the school space, right? Okay. So, so I'm in the education market, K to 12, predominantly more middle school and up. Mm-hmm. Um, you do not want to talk to elementary school students. <laughs> like, like they can't pay attention. So fifth grade to like 12th grade. And then I also speak to college students as well. So that's predominantly who I speak to. And then now I've dabbled into like talking to professionals, the millennials who want to go ahead and live out their passions and make that be their actual occupation. That's another audience I speak to as well. Okay. So you're basically a coach predominantly for youth and young people. Absolutely. Is that a fair statement? That is very accurate. Okay. So how does someone get into this space? How did, how did you decide this is what I'm going to do? Uh, so right out of high school, I decided to go and play, um, coach high school football because mm-hmm. I couldn't go to my college. I was at St. John's University. The first year they cut the football program. So now I'm done. Like I got nothing to play and I don't want to transfer. Mm-hmm. So I go ahead, I coach in high school and I start seeing the impact of speaking to these young men and giving them motivation and seeing the grades improve, their performance increase. People who you would never think belong on a football field actually building confidence. So once I saw that, I was like, man, like this is great. Like I love doing this stuff for people. And so I said, let me see if I could do this in a different space. So I started volunteering. I did the Big Brothers, Big Sisters program. Did that with one young man, um, one of five children, second grader, um, troublemaker, uh, pushing teachers out of his way and stuff like that. But the impact I had with just dealing with him every other week, I was like, man, if I could impact one person like this, like imagine if I was speaking in front of an audience. So that took me to the next step, which was just volunteering, speaking to youth, YMCAs, any organization that would just let me come in. I would go ahead and speak to them and just seeing the momentum and seeing what was happening with it. I was like, oh man, like this has to be like the thing that I do for the rest of my life. And then when you start reading that people do this for a living, you're like, oh, forget it. Then everything else just fell right in place. Okay. So let's unpack that a little (laughs) bit, right? Because it's easy when you're on the other side of it and you've built a brand to say everything just fell right right into place. But I know I can't even count on both hands how many people I know who wake up every day and say, this is what I want to do for a living. I want to motivate people. I want to inject them with passion and help them get a vision for their lives. And I want to make money at it. Yeah. But a lot of people are not actually able to monetize in that way. They may be able to monetize to the extent that it's like rainy day money. But to say this is my my brand and this is what I do full time. There's a a very small segment of the population Mm -hmm. who can claim that. So how did you get from volunteering to this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and then things falling into place? Honestly, I will tell you the best thing is to get a coach. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the whole like, you know, figure it out on your own. Uh, most of us, we're playing from behind the, the eight ball. Like we're like, I don't got time to like learn, do 10,000 hour rule and all those right. things like that. But I could leverage someone else's 10,000 10, hours. So what I basically did, I saw ads. I saw people coming out with programs. And I basically took the money that I was making with my nine to five and investing it into coaching and investing it into coaching. I know it's a scary thing. Like a lot of people is like, you mean I'm going to take my money and give it to this person and they're going to teach me something and I still got to do the work. Right. <laughs> like, like, but I thought it was just like,
like I came from like an athletic background. I'm used to coaching and I've seen coaches enhance my ability. So I already believed in the art of coaching. So investing in a coach importantly is like systems. So like not a coach is just going to give you advice, but someone who's built out a system that you could go ahead and follow and it could duplicate the results over and over again. So that's honestly what I did that literally helped to bridge the gap from volunteer to someone who's getting some money for it and then build, keep going and doing it over and over again, doing the systems that he's been teaching and then finally get like a structure that looks like a legitimate business. Okay. So you got your plan in place. You are making strides. How do you start getting money for doing this? Like what's what's one thing that you do? Are you cold, call, cold calling people? I'm doing a lot of cold emails. Okay. So I'm doing a lot of cold emails. But one of the biggest things is, um, you know, like it's one thing to go and ask somebody for money when you know, when you think they got it. It's a whole different conversation when you know they have it. Sure. So you got to kind of go where the money is going. So when there's funding from education, you got to read that stuff. Now, I know a lot of times when we think about like you're a motivational speaker or like you're an artist, you don't think of yourself necessarily as a company. So you're not thinking about, oh, government grants. How can I get something with that? So I had to go and quickly think of myself as a CEO, like for real, for real. Right. And then see like, where's the money coming from? Where is it going? It's just passing through from one hand to another. But once you understand where it is and how does it travel and how they release it, then now you can start packaging what it is that you do to kind of help solve those problems that the government is giving money towards. Sure. So you're working within a government framework, you're saying. So you're not going to like, you know, random community center down the street and saying, hey, can you pay me to speak? You you know that there are dollars out there that are earmarked for this kind of thing within government funding structures. Absolutely. And I I think that's where most people go wrong. So you Mm -hmm. go and say like, let me go to the youth group down my block where there's a church and you're like, now they got to raise funds. Mm -hmm. So now it's, and what happens is when you don't go to the right person in the beginning and you ask and they reject you, you think you're bad. Mm -hmm. You don't realize that even if you were the greatest speaker in the world, they could never give you the money for it. Right. Because they don't have it. So you play a different game. So it's like that whole chess versus checkers Mm -hmm. game. So once you know somebody has the money, then now it's all on me to become the best that I could be and package what I'm doing to make it match. Like, I think that's the biggest thing that most people don't realize is like there is money out there and people tend to be habitual with Mm -hmm. it. So like they spend it the same way over and over again, but you're not paying attention to that, but you want to make money. You got to kind of, you have to know where the money's going. Yeah. And here's what I think is an issue too. I think most of us are huge dreamers and we have, we know we're talented and, and, you know, we have all these big goals, but then when we see the bureaucracy and the hoops we have to jump through and you've got to put down on paper your proposal and what it is that you do, people are intimidated by that. Right. right? Or they just don't feel like putting the energy in to do what it takes to actually win, you know, whatever the bid is. right? Right. So it's easier to say, I am a motivational speaker. I'm just going to go to the youth group or the church down the street because I know them and pitch what I do or just disseminate out on Facebook that I'm a speaker now and see what I get back. It's easier to do that than to actually put in the work and package yourself in a way where the places that have the available funds, even though there's a more stringent process to get those funds, right? Instead of going to them and doing the work to get their their buy-in. And I think that's like something I wish we were more honest with ourselves about because I hear 
people say all the time, this is what I want to do. And the opportunities are not just, they're just not presenting themselves. But what I have found doing this podcast is the folks who are consistently speaking that I, that I've talked right. to that are consistently out there in the community, yeah. giving talks and paid talks are hitting the cold contacts hard. Oh, no, you have to, there's no other way. Um, They don't know you. Mm-hmm. Right. So like the only way is like to send an email, to send a follow-up email. A lot of times in marketing, they say no one does, no one says yes until like the seventh or eighth time mm-hmm. after hearing you. So most people don't have that long term. This is why I think the vision is so important and it has to be kind of tied into like what you believe you were created to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to do that because I believe it's my purpose. So the rejection is not something that I internalize or digest. And even to your point where people say there's no opportunities out there, you got to really look at it that you're scared and and you got to do it afraid. Mm-hmm. Like I look, There's many times I've done a proposal. I went to one meeting one time and this guy was like, um, how long is your program? And I was like, how long do you need it to be? <laughs> and he was like, and he literally was like, that's the wrong answer. I was like, I was mad scared. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I, did, did I just mess this up? Like what just happened? But it's being willing to go and face those moments where you're going to have egg on your face. But the next time you go to a meeting, which literally happened like two months later, mm-hmm. I was ready. Right. Because I was like, oh, damn, they're going to ask me how long this program is. So that I did my homework to see what is the time frame they had available and made sure my program fit that time frame so that when they see it, they're like, oh, this is a perfect fit. The other one, I didn't have my homework done. So it almost like I entered that like a pop quiz and failed. Understood. Yeah. Okay. So now present day, what percentage would you say of proposals do you uh, put that you put out there actually end favorably? That's a good question. It, you, you ever, you know, you've heard of the 80, 20 rule. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> so it's literally like 20% of them. You get a yes. And I asked you that question because I anticipated that the number was going to be low. Super low, super low. But people get like dreams are great until your doors start getting slammed in your face. And, you know, people get like five rejections and they're like, this is not working for me. Everything I try to do is just not working. Not realizing that it's just par for the course. Yeah. So are are you pitching like on a daily, daily basis or? Yeah, it's it's a daily basis. Um, Obviously, a lot of things are themed as well. So Mm -hmm. like right now, you know, at the time of recording this, like it's summertime, right? right? So it's like a lot of schools are not in session. So you're really trying to strategize for fall, for winter. Mm-hmm. But um, you're really just watching the trends, but you have to keep on emailing. You have to right. keep on calling. You have to keep on networking. You, it, it, it doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always looking for somebody and you just got to keep playing that game. Right. And, 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 and if you look at it as a game and you look at it as long term, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll be able to play it better. But I think to your point, what you were saying, people thought it was going to be easy. Mm-hmm. And because they think it's going to be easy, the minute you get slapped in the face, you're like, what? <laughs> what? What? What, what is this? Like, if you had told me I was going to get into a fight, I would have had my guard up. Right. So they enter it like, oh, nice and beautiful. And I think that's what happens with a lot of entrepreneurship. It's like, I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to go and make my own hours. And it's almost like the whole quote, like, build it and they will come. And it's like, right. no, you could build it. They ain't going to come. You got to go to them. And then almost it gets to the point where you start feeling like you're almost begging. Right. But I would tell people, instead of thinking about it as begging, think of it more like you like Thomas Edison, where you were just trying to figure out how to make this life work and you might fail 10,000 
thousand times, but once you get it that one time and you could duplicate it over and over again, then you're good. Right. And I think there's a tipping point also where you're going you're going to get to a point if you invest the time and the effort at some point that sales funnel, for lack of a better yeah. term, is gonna bust wide open. One hundred percent. And you don't have to do as much pitching as you did, you know. No, but, but but people don't realize that it takes time to get to that point. So you have to get to a point where people look at you and no one wants to be the guinea pig. So you 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 come on the scene and you're like, look, I'm the new kid on the block. And they're like, yeah, we don't want the new kid on the right. block. Like our jobs are on the line in speaking. And I didn't realize this until my mentor taught me this, that in speaking, if you do a bad job, someone was responsible for bringing you in. Right. And so if you do a bad job, that's their job on the line. What about the, that's a potential promotion that they were going for and said, I'm going to give you this event to pick a speaker and organize it. And then they go and make decisions after that. So you got to look at it as like, it's not just the people I'm speaking to is the person who brought me in. Their job is on the line. And so most people don't think about it from that perspective. We just think about it, what I'm getting out of the equation. Right. And I, and I think also we, you know what I mean by we, yeah. we as a culture, we're just not beat for <laughs> lack of a better term, right? We're going to put ourselves out there, but yeah. after a while, we just not pressed anymore. Let's, let's keep it all the no, way no, real. I'll you reject you. us. Yeah. You sent, we, I sent a couple of emails. I'm not chasing you. Like I, no. I don't need you. You need me more than I need you. Yeah. And so I think we get into that mindset, which is not the right frame of mind to have for this. No, no, not for this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Not for this kind of work. One guy told me, I asked him, yo, what, tell me the speaking business in a nutshell. He said, you're going to feel like a, a, a prostitute in the beginning. Oh gosh. I said, excuse me. I, I, he said, that's how it's going to feel. You're going to be out here on the corner asking for stuff for a while. And then at some point you're going to be like, I don't want to do this no more. And you'll, you'll have learned how to kind of maneuver in the game. And I was like, Dag, like this is harsh, but the reality is, it is that it's like, you keep going, you keep getting rejected over and over again. And then I start realizing why I'm getting rejected. Mm-hmm. I think most people, they get the door slammed on their face and they, it's always the person who's slamming the doors fault. You never take any self-awareness to go and see like, Oh dad, you right. I sent that email and it kind of sounded like it was copy and paste. It mm-hmm. sounded like a template. I didn't do no homework. I didn't go and look at the LinkedIn and say, Oh snap, you went to this university. I can't tell you one time I sent an email to somebody and in the PS I wrote like I think their college was like in the World Series or something and I was like I hope your team wins the World Series that PS probably is the only reason the person responded sure but if you're not gonna go the extra mile to go and get it just for a maybe though like people want, people will do it if I said Delisha you're guaranteed mm-hmm. that this is gonna happen to you if you do this I bet I'm gonna do it but most people won't go do it for the possibility 50-50 right. that you can get it they're not gonna do that it has to be 100 or nothing. Right. Not even 50, 50, 20, 80. That's really what it (laughs) is, right? Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So, okay. So let's rewind a little bit to the time, you know, before you figured out what your vision was for your life. Did you have another vision? Was there something else that you thought you would be doing professionally? I thought I was going to be an NFL football player. Really? So this is high school going into college? I thought I was going to be an NFL football player. I was working out three days a week. I was recruited. Um, I really thought that was it. I Mm -hmm. thought like, I know exactly what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. I'm just going to be a football player. And once that kind of fell through, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an NFL coach. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to be in football. And then I watched this one documentary of a college coach and it documented his whole life for the day. And he went, he woke up at four o'clock in the morning, went to work all day, came back home probably like 11 p.m. He said he's hung out with his wife for an hour, read a book for another hour and then slept for two hours and then did all over again. And I was like, that quality of life is not for me. (laughs) I was like, yo, I love football, but but uh, I don't love it that much. <laughs> like, you know, I don't need some family time. I need some time for myself. So that 
really was it changed the game for me completely. And then I also thought I was going to be a personal trainer. Delisha, I was um, I was smart as a personal trainer, mm-hmm. but I never looked the part. So, like, <laughs> like, I never looked the part. I'm surprised people hired me. I think the science really got me, but the body just never followed. I was telling people everything. I was this one lady that said you got to eat your salads, your grilled chicken. You know that's what you got to do. You're gonna lose the weight. I would leave the gym five minutes later and be ordering number two at McDonald's. <laughs> like, I, it, and I had no. This is literally why I left the personal training game. I was like, Yo, you the biggest hypocrite. <laughs> In the world, I got love handles. My shirt dumb tight. <laughs> I, no, I never work out, and I work in the gym. Like it was so bad. I was like, Yo, I'm tired of being a fraud. And I think most people, if I, if you hear that story, you're like, Yo, how the heck you end up doing anything? Like you just sound like you was just cutting corners, and mm-hmm. you wasn't really about that life. But I think like you just gotta allow yourself to be. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to to go one way and realize, Dag, that's the I don't want to go that way. And I think most people they be themselves up once they go and face, face one dead end. Like, right. a dead end don't mean you're dead. You just gotta go reverse yes. in, on the same street and go somewhere else. Yes, but in your defense, there are a lot of football players out there who may not be like, you know, all cut up and ripped, but are super agile yeah, and athletic yeah, yeah. and in great shape in terms of, you know, their ability to get through a workout right, and endurance right. and all that other stuff. So maybe people were like, Alicia, you know. I appreciate you making <laughs> me feel good. Um, but what I said is what I said. I was- <laughs> you said what you said. I'm just saying. Maybe people were like, he's a former athlete. He knows what he's doing. So I'm going to cut oh, that man. check. Nah, nah. It, it wasn't that. Okay. So you figured out that the personal training thing wasn't for you. Mm-hmm. Then what happened? Okay. So I became a marketing I would be basically like a marketing assistant, project manager, working for a guy who taught me how to sell personal training. So okay. he taught me how to sell it. So I was, un- I understood marketing. I understood sales. I didn't, I didn't go to school for that. I went for sports management. I took one marketing class. I got like a C minus in it. So it wasn't like, I was like, Hey, this is, this might be the backup plan. Mm-hmm. Like a, not that, but working with this guy and I had a chance to work with entrepreneurs that it was just me and that person. And I think that really like changed my perspective on entrepreneurship in general. Like seeing a guy like living next to the guy who owns JetBlue, buying a car. Like he said, oh, gee, I just bought this car. You, you, how much is the payments? Oh, no, I bought it. Like the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You you mean you paid it full? Like the, in one day? Like, yeah, I paid $60,000 yesterday. That's possible? Like, you know, and I think seeing that kind of stuff, it just changed my perspective sure. completely. But that I did that for like about, sheesh, like seven, eight, nine years just doing that stuff and being exposed to seeing the failures. I think that's really where I learned that failure was okay. Mm -hmm. Because we may have worked on 40 projects. Three of them worked. Sounds about right. (laughs) Three of them worked, but those three became each a million dollar entity. Mm -hmm. But most people, but I'm saying, and when I say those three, I mean like they were successful towards the end. So we we went through like 37 failures. But these guys were so resilient. They were like, yo, we're gonna just we just gonna do it again. I'm mm-hmm. like, that you saw how much money you spent, like with the videographer, the ads, all these things. Yeah, but this this is the game. The game is it's not about who who wins the fastest, it's the right. person who stays in the game the longest normally wins. 
And that I believe is outside of access and all the other obstacles. Why we have so few people who reach pinnacles of success because they just give up like one failure and they're like, I can't. And I struggle with that, too. Right. Yeah. I've invested all this money in this thing over here. It didn't quite pop the way. Right. I thought it would. I'm not dumping money into something. You go through these like oh, no, internal 100%. dialogues. Am I going to roll the dice again with my livelihood or my nest egg and, and start all over? But it takes that. There are very few people, I think, who have sustainable success. Right out of the gate no and and, and that's why I, one of my biggest um habits is reading like, i love reading memoirs i'm a huge like i read i read just recently um when kevin hart came out with his mm -hmm. memoir i read that when i read that i was like i'm never giving up mm -hmm. the amount of failures this guy had i'm sorry there's no way like the consistency like just to keep on going to keep failing over and over and over again the rejections and i'm talking like big rejections like Yo, here's the $250,000 contract. Oh, they canceled your show. Oh, the t tax IRS just called and said you owe, you never paid taxes the last five years. Your manager giving them all the money at once instead of doing a payment plan. So now you're broke again. You got to go. You've heard, I've heard so many stories. And I think that's what, what I love about your podcast is that people get a chance to kind of hear the backstory. I right. feel like all we keep seeing is filtered lives. Like you go on Instagram, everybody's posting the dope picture. We stand next to a Ferrari we don't own, but you don't know that. Right. Like all these different things. But when you go and have conversations, like this, where you can go and talk about the failures, the embarrassments, and then still see that the person kept on going, then now it gives somebody else the, I guess, the luxury to feel like, oh, now I, I don't, I'm not so bad. Right. You know, and I think, like you said, if they can just get to the point of realizing that and stop listening to the story in their head over and over again, I said, you remember last time when you spent that money, it didn't work. And then you got your friends saying it because yep. they don't got the you know, they're not bold enough to invest on in themselves and they try to like protect you from feeling the pain again, but you got to fall to learn how to get back up. Right. If you don't fall and always people catching you and babying you, you're never going to learn. And I think, I feel like that's where people never experience an extraordinary day. They stay the same all the time because they never did anything extra. Right. They just did what everybody, so everybody's doing. Right. And I think you brought up a valid point before when you said like so many of us do feel like we're behind the eight ball. Yeah. And, but I think what differentiates those who are kind of home wallowing in that feeling of being behind like oh I'm 35 I'm 37 and yeah. I, I haven't even started to work on my dream and those who are making strides is people who make strides learn as they go and they're not afraid to put their brand out there even though it's not perfect yeah. or it's not necessarily the destination right I'm sure what your brand look like looks like today right. it's not the end game for you uh, it's an iteration not. of something that's going to grow and, and evolve and to be successful I'm a firm believer that you have to be willing to just put it out there yeah. in beta form or an right. early stage, you know, version of it, knowing yeah. that it can involve evolve into the full picture um, as time goes on. I agree with you. And I think if we start looking at those betas as like, like think about, you ever remember when you was in science class and they would tell you to go and do a project and we had to come up with a hypothesis, which mm -hmm. is just an educated guess. And then you would do the project and see that your educated guess was wrong, but right. we never looked at it as failure. It was part of the experiment. And I think if people experimented more, instead of putting a definition of win versus loss versus losing or whatever, we would, we would actually keep shooting. But the reason why we don't is because we defined it a certain way. You said, I just put all my eggs in one basket. I did this. And then what happens is like, now you just, uh, you created such odds that if you do fail, there's no way you're going to try again. Mm -hmm. But if you define it as an experiment, I'm always tweaking. What's the subject line? What's the, um, the length of the email supposed to be? Should I send a video instead of a text? Like if, if it's that type of game that you're 
you're playing, then eventually you're going to win. But I think you have to experiment and not define it as I won or lost. It's I win or I learn. Absolutely. I win or I learn. I like that. But let's talk about your odds because you grew up in these New York streets, right? I sure did. And you went to a high school that was deemed one of the worst in the city. Yeah. Basically, every day somebody got beat up. Mm -hmm. Every day. And we're talking about with knives. It was like gangs in there. I would walk into the hallway. I grew up in Flatbush. And I would walk up in the hallway and they would say, whoever's from Flatbush is getting slashed today. Wow. Like, now I'm like, yo, dang, I don't want to rep Flatbush that hard. Like, <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I love Flatbush, but my face ain't getting slashed today. Like, yo, you from Flatbush? Nah, man, I ain't from Flatbush. <laughs> like, 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 yo, you just said, you were, yo, shut up. Like, I'm not trying to get slashed today. So to face that reality where on a day-to-day -day basis, you're looking at the route you would take to go to the bus. There was times where I had to like call a friend who lived in the neighborhood and he had like an Impala, Chevy Impala. Mm -hmm. The people in the neighborhood know that like, it looks like a cop car. And I would tell him like, yo, come pick me up in front of the school today, man. Like today is going to be a problem. Like I know they're going to do something stupid and he would come and get me. So these are things like, you think about like, I got to get straight A's. Like, no, nah, I'm trying to figure out how to get home today and not get slashed in my face. Like that was honestly a reality that a lot of the students including myself had to face going to the high school. So if you're going to a school like that, your primary focus, rightfully so, is surviving, right? right. Going to school and not getting assaulted. How do you, how are you in an environment like that and still prepare to go to college and even have like the state of mind, the presence of mind to know I got to try to get into school as well? Was it the sports aspect that drove you to that or a guidance counselor? Or what? I, I would say sports definitely helped. Um, having parents like I had who mm. there was really no option like you could tell them that's what's happening in the school but unless they see it with their own eyes they don't treat it the same way right mm -hmm. so they expected excellence from me so I had to do it whether I was in World War 3 or 4 whatever the thing is or not I had to still do it but I think sports definitely gave me a framework because it allowed me to like think so far ahead mm -hmm. so like I'm in high school thinking I'm gonna play in the NFL that's a six seven year plan I think a lot of times um most people can't get out of those tough situations because all they see is right now I really lived in my future, and I think that really allowed me to be able to get through the present. So you had a good support system at home to counteract what was going on at school, but a lot of kids just don't have that. Yeah. So, you know, it's no secret that there's a disparity in America, depending on where you li live, right. as it relates to the quality of education yeah. that you get. So kids, you know, from the beginning are starting off behind, and that gap, right. the literacy yeah, gap, yeah. the knowledge gap, everything is widening with every year. Mm -hmm. Do you think with the current state of schools that that is surmountable for kids if they're in a bad school district, but they're talented without the, the support system at yeah. home? How do we overcome that to give these kids a shot? <laughs> Sheesh. You know, the, you know, the sad part is if, if the school doesn't re realize that they have to step in and think creatively how to provide environments and resources for these students, they really don't have a shot. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you, you think about um, if I was trying to hang something up on the wall and I don't got a hammer and a nail, I mean, good luck. 
And I think the school system has to get creative. And a lot of them have, like they've gotten to places where they are bringing in people like myself mm-hmm. who have programs where we're talking to students every single month. We're giving them goal setting. We're giving them, and you got to saturate them with it. Because I think if you don't realize those neighborhoods, people are starting at negative 100. Right. And you're telling them, do what the person did who's starting at 10 with a cushion. You know, I'm not denying, I, I know what I grew up with. I, like 75% of households in minorities and African-American don't have a father figure. Like, so me getting a father figure was like me getting, that's like, oh my gosh, like, that's crazy that you had a dad around and your mom in the same house. Like, it was like, like that kind of narrative. So we have to go and realize that the situation is worse than you think it is. Do not think that, um, I think the worst thing you can do is unestimate, uh, underestimate the opponent. Mm-hmm. And I think if we go and think that, oh, they're not, they don't need the help. No, they need the help. Some of them are resilient enough that even without the help, they still figure it out out of desperation. But I feel like we have to give them the resources, the tools, access to different people so that they can go and see what is possible. Because you're telling them to dream. They live in neighborhoods where they see people fall in dreams. They go to a school, there's violence, there's all these different things. So where do I get my hope from if everywhere I go? So majority of the day I stay at school mm-hmm. and then all of the time I'm in the neighborhood. So how do we create environments, programs so that they can see something different? How do I, could, how do I stretch their mindsets so that now they could go and say, oh, snap, like I could go to the same place. Even when, like Jay-Z said one time, like, you know, people come from all over the world to go to Central Park and these students and these kids in the hood don't realize for just a train fare, you can go to the same place that somebody from Europe flew to go and lay on a rock Right. that you could go and do the same thing. And because they never see, oh, snap, this person's doing the same thing I'm doing. They don't think that they can get the same things that those people have. And I think we have to go and keep fighting to do whatever we can um, to give them access to that kind of information, access to that type of exposure. So then that way they can go ahead and believe that they too could have it. Absolutely. And you're doing that through your company, 2020 Living yep. Inc., right? Yep. But 2020 Living is also a concept. Can you explain to us what that means? Yes. Um, so basically it came from the idea of, you know, the Bible says that without vision, people perish. And so I started to realize like, man, that's so powerful because going back, like many people that I feel committing suicide and some people are committing suicide where they're still alive, but they're really dead on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I think the whole thing with 2020 is I, of 2020 living was the idea of getting people to see clearly what is possible. So a lot of times what happens is these lies and these experiences that you have, you think that's all it, that there is. And if you tell yourself a lie long enough, it starts to feel true. So this whole thing with 2020 living is I want people to live, but the only way they get to live is if they have proper vision for what tomorrow is going to look like. And we want to make sure that it's exciting enough that they want to do the work that's required in the present to even see that become a reality. So I'm going to challenge you. Okay here a little bit because I believe everything you're saying, but I I know I encounter people all the time who feel like they don't have the headspace to even start to form a vision because of what's going on right now. So when everything is crashing down on you and you can't pay your bills, your business is not working out or you hate your job, you know, interpersonal relationships are strained, you need money. When you're just trying to survive from day to day, it can be very difficult to get that 2020 vision for the dream that you have for your life. So what's a first step that people can take to start to clear the air a little bit to even be able to see, see it? 
ahead. Yeah. Um, you got to separate the truth from the, from the, the, the lie from the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, because if not, then I'm never going to be able to make progress. So one of the things I would say is just do an inventory. I think sometimes we don't realize, like, I get that the situation is bad, but like every story we've ever heard where we're like, oh my gosh, like that miraculous story, we love hearing it, but we don't realize that we are being set up to have our very own. Mm-hmm. Like you're literally like all those things is being thrown at you is a setup for just a, a comeback that people are just going to be floored by. But you can't see if you don't understand and accept that you'll never be able to take that next step. You'll just stay on the sofa. Right. You just keep on crying. You'll keep on moaning. You'll just complain, but you won't do anything. And so once I'm telling you do an action just to say like what is true what is false and then create another lane where you just go and say what would I like to be true mm-hmm. just imagine like if we all no matter how bad the situation is our imagination is still there right you know like and I think we, if we could become childlike again where we treated dolls and made them real people and trucks was real and all that stuff like that like imagination gives you just enough hope to see to at least be willing to see tomorrow mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are just like yo man if I die today is it, it'll be a good thing for me but if i can get you to start saying like what what would you like to be true most people can't even most people won't even do that step and if you could and i would just challenge them said like just just try like there's enough people who've done this there's enough stories and i feel like that's where you can educate yourself like you might say oh, i don't have no wi-fi in my house go to the library and read the stories of a jim carrey writing himself a million dollar check and then seeing what happened like that's why i feel like without us sharing stories we're done right we're done like i i i, I I really don't know how if you really understand I think I'm sure you do the magnitude of what you are doing with the podcast like these stories can liberate people so you go and say yeah I'm investing I'm doing all these different things like that but one story could change a person's life if they catch it if they hear it one person could just go and say because I feel like we go from like yo someone's believing no there's no way I could change my life Mm -hmm. and we're telling them to go from no to yes that's a big leap for anybody right but if I can get you go from no to maybe then now you start looking up the person who's looking who, who says no is looking down There's, they have no hope but I'll get you from no to maybe and this is the power of the stories oh snap that person was Haitian oh that person was from Nigeria oh that person is still working hard even though they don't even know their status in this country mm-hmm. if you start seeing all those things then you start saying yo what's my excuse then all of a sudden everything starts to change but I feel like we just gotta change the narrative like we gotta change our perspective and look even even if you gotta start making it up before like sometimes people say like you gotta make believe you are before you are right Right, so like some people like, like, hey, come to my studio. I never forget. I saw a guy who told somebody to come to his office, and he was in the lobby of a fancy hotel. (laughs) But I walked in with him, so he wasn't in the hotel. But he called it his office. He said, "Yo, meet me by." Yeah, yeah, you know, I just came downstairs, and he was telling this whole made-up story Mm -hmm. to make the guy believe he belongs in this fancy hotel. But I think like that's where when you don't have anything, that's where we could tap into like the book that Damon John wrote, which is the power of broke. You could tap into your creativity. And it normally doesn't tap it. You can't tap into it until you really have to. Right. Very <laughs> true. And I believe self-perception yeah. is going to beget the perception that other people have of you. Yes. I will never forget. I was on this flight. Might have been a, a Delta flight. Uh-huh. And the flight was delayed. Like something was up with the plane. And then the, the, they, uh, the flight attendant was sick and they were yeah. waiting for someone else. And um, so people were kind of hopped up. Right. Mm-hmm. Ready to go. You know, by the time you've gone through everything to get to the right. gate, you want to just get on and, and take off. But. But 
But by the time we got on the plane, people have kids with them. All of the flight attendants, I noticed immediately, had smiles on their faces. They had really good energy. They were making jokes. And right. One of them got on the, the microphone and said, listen, we know you guys have been waiting, but we're here now. And this is what we're going to do. Who mm-hmm. wants snacks? Like, that's how it yeah. started. And they started passing out snacks. And they were joking with each other. And before you knew it, we're now, I guess, an hour behind when we're supposed to leave. And everybody on this flight is laughing. And for me, it was like a powerful message for positioning mm. and the energy you put out there and then what you're going to get in return. Yeah. Right. If it, if the the immediate presentation of the flight attendants was one of defensiveness or being aloof and right. unwilling to acknowledge what was happening, yes. you might have gotten a different response because they came on, they acknowledged it, but they did it in a way to say, listen, we can't control that. But what we can control is putting something in your belly mm-hmm. and helping you feel better. And we're going to make it fun in the meantime. Because they took that approach, the reaction was different. And I, I took that as like a revelation about how I perceive myself, how I perceive a situation and what I'm putting out in the world in hopes to get that energy back. Huge. What you just said is, I hope, I don't want people to miss what you just said because it's everything. Mm -hmm. What you just said is everything. Because one of the things you said is they asked the question of what can I do? Right. Not, not, so yeah, we lack, we we, we can't change the fact you're not in the air, but what do we have? Mm -hmm. And I think most people, they ask, they think of their, themselves, their perception is I'm missing something. But if it was like, okay, but what if I asked you, what do you have? Like, because if you just work what you have, it'll turn into something else. It starts to build up that momentum. So then, like you said, now all of a sudden we are out late and everybody's laughing because they just worked with what they had. We yo, we we can't fly the plane, but we got these snacks. Right. And we'll give you these snacks. And if people start thinking about it from that perspective, like, what do I have? Right? So, so yo, you know, I ain't got no money, but I got time. Right? <laughs> right? They said time is money. <laughs> like, I got time. Like, I ain't got no job or nothing. Like, I have time. And I feel like when you start asking what you have, then you can say, what can you do with it? Right. Like, now that you tell me what you have. So, some people might say, like, I don't have a job. Well, there's people who's trying to get Yeezys and Jordans who don't have time to stand on the line, you could stand on the line and charge them up and charge them a hundred dollars to go and get, make sure they get the sneaker. So you, but most people, they're not thinking about what they have. They, they're too busy building the story of why they don't have. Right. And when you build up that story, all of a sudden you see a skyscraper and you too blind to see what's behind it. So what you said to your point is like, if we could talk about what do I have and start to get that train moving, all of a sudden you'll be surprised long, long, like a week later, a month later, a year later, everything changed. Absolutely. And I know from experience, I've been on top, for lack of a better term, and then I've been knocked back to ground zero, where I literally had to rebuild brick by brick and create a new vision for myself because the old one was not going to work. And I realized that. And one of the things that I put into practice, I had heard it everywhere. Mm -hmm. People say start a gratitude journal. I'm like, here we go. Right. You hear it (laughs) in so many places. But I remember buying these little tiny index cards and putting like a little jar on my dresser. And at the end of the night, I would write. And I, I didn't have any requirements that it had to be five, but I would just write something that I was grateful for, for that day. Yeah. And it could be as simple as, you know, taxi driver was kind, yep. you know, anything. My homegirl called to check on me. And the beginning I was just doing it almost like, let me just see if this really works. But over time, not only did it build the gratitude muscle, but it made me on high alert to see more things to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. And the more gratitude I found, the more joy I found. And the more joy I found, the more expectation I had about what was possible. Yep. And it literally just grew. I don't even know how it happened. Just I just watched my circumstances change. I'm not saying it was easy. No, and no, it no. took a while. <laughs> but like you have, like you said, you can't build up that negativity so much yeah. that it's blocking what's behind it. No. You just can't. And, you know, I'm reading this book called The Power of Habit. Mm-hmm. And it 
talked about how a lot of times one thing changes everything. And that gratitude opened up all those doors. So now people say, okay, yo, like, y'all, I'm hanging out with Delisha today. Like, why? Because she she gives off this vibe. Mm-hmm. And so because you're so full of gratitude, you now, when you go around people, they get it too. Because it's out of the overflow that you could give people. If I'm, right. if I'm starving, I'm not sharing. You depleted, you can nah, forget nah, it. No, forget it. Like, you? Like, me? Like, but if you're full, now you become a blessing to people because you are so blessed. And I think if you count your blessings, you'll realize how blessed you truly are. Absolutely. Now you brought up books. You have a book. You've written one. Yes. Right? The thirst is real. <laughs> okay. You got to tell me what this book is about and, and how you came up with this title. Okay. So I was writing the book for young people. Um, at the time, the word thirsty was very popular. <laughs> Um, was like the words everybody was using. Mm-hmm. Yo, this person's mad thirsty. But obviously, young people were using it from the context of dating, right? So they're like, yo, this guy's like almost like to the point where it's like stalking, mm-hmm. right? So I said, okay, that's interesting. I think um, it would grab their attention because they hear the word, but let me give you the context and w- explain it. So I told them, you know, in the book I write about how this one guy was had a crush on some girl and everywhere she went, he went. So she had AP classes, which means you got to go to school before you go to school. And he was there before she was there. And I keep telling this narrative of like how everywhere she went, he was. And obviously, if that's really your real present situation, you're calling, you're getting restraining orders, you're calling the cops, all these different things. So then I started looking at it and said, like, what if we just made a slight shift and replace the person with a goal or a dream? There's no restraining order for that. True. This, right. So what if we stalked our our goals? What if we stalked our dreams? Right. My, and hopefully he's not a person like like my dream is to date this person. Like, nah, I'm not talking about that. But obviously, in terms of goals of what you would like to accomplish and things of that nature. And I always used to watch the show um, Law and Order. I used to always watch the show and I was always seeing like, what did the stalkers have? Were you watching SVU? Yes. Because that's, that's the that's, only Law and Order that, that, that matters. That, that you are right. <laughs> but I digress. No, I love that show. So whenever you would see a stalker, you would go and they would show you the room of the stalker. What would be? So tell me what would be in the room. So normally I love crime shows and like legal, legal stuff. So it's always an exorbitant amount of paper or documentation for whomever they're stalking. So photos, lists of where they are, schedules. I mean, it's an obsessive environment with things just posted all around. Right. So the reason why I called it the thirst is real is because if a police officer did not get in the way, that predator, quote unquote, would definitely catch a spray. Mm -hmm. So what if we did the same thing for our goals? What if I surrounded myself with pictures of what it looked like? What if I had paper? What if I had all this background information? If I had that mindset, it's inevitable that you will reach your goal or at least get so close to it that it might reveal another goal that you didn't even know you had. But most people, they're not obsessive enough. They're kind of just interested. And one of my mentors told me some people are like in, um, in a relationship with their goals and some people are into their goals. Gotcha. In and into is two different things. So a lot of people on Facebook are in a relationship, but I ain't seen no pictures with none of the persons. Like, <laughs> like who you with? Like, you, you, I've never seen this person. Yeah, y'all been together for like three years, no anniversary or nothing? Like, that's what happened. But when you enter something, you're asking questions. You're always you're always being proactive. What can I do? Like with my wife, I'm like, she there's a women's conference this Saturday. Yo, I'm booking that joint for her. And mm-hmm. I'm gonna send her email so that when she check her email, she's like, Oh babe, you did that for me. Yeah, like because I'm into you. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna go and proactively do things. I'm asking questions. I wanna know your habits. I wanna know everything about you. I always tell people all the time, my wife's name is Marsha, and I said I got a degree in martiology. <laughs> right? Like that's that's what I majored in. Like I got a doctorate. I didn't go 
go past bachelor's in college. But that one, like I got PhDs, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, so if people started thinking about it from that perspective. So the thirst is real is, is, is all about like if I if you tell me what your goal is, the question I would ask is, is your thirst is real? And I shouldn't be. I shouldn't have to ask a question. I should be able to see it. So somebody said to me, oh, I want to be a basketball player. Your book bag ain't got no basketball. Y'all want to go be a doctor. You, you, you majoring in English. Like, this is not making sense. Like, it has to line up. And I believe every single person has, um, if you have to imagine it, we all got a reality TV show of our own. Each person. Right. And if I was watching, if I pop in a, your DVD of your life, I should be able to tell you based on how you live in what you want. Absolutely. Now, you brought up a, a great point in the purpose of this podcast and highlighting people's stories and the hardships and et cetera. So in that vein, yep. I want to ask you, can you describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day? So when you had to forge ahead in the face of a valley experience, disappointment or failure? So several of them, but I'll tell you one that really just stands out to me. Um, so one time I, I, I went to my bank account and I saw a number that I, I didn't think was possible. So I didn't know you can get a negative number in a bank account. How old were you when, when this happened? I was in my 20s. Okay. Yeah. She about to give me some financial literacy right now. <laughs> no, not for that, but I'm, I'm saying, right? Because yeah. people might say, oh, well, yeah, you know, we all were dumb and reckless when we were 18 in, in mm-hmm. college, maybe. Nah. But no, you were in your 20s. Yeah, I was in my 20s. Yeah. So I, I should have had some sense. So I went ahead, I look at my account, and I see I got like negative $25. I'm like, how... How do I owe you money? Like, if I got zero, you shouldn't be able to let me withdraw mm-hmm. anything. Like, what's what's the situation? So I'm in that situation. My friend says they're gonna give me four thousand dollars. I say no. I, I I don't want the four thousand. If you give me the four thousand dollars, the next time I fall down, I'm gonna come to you again. I'm. It's like a pacifier. You got good friends though. Somebody uh, I, they, uh, suggested they, they, you know offered yeah, to do that. Yeah, they, <laughs> they are good. Nah, they were really good. But I I realized at that moment like I, this was an opportunity to do something special. You know, for me to go and learn how it. it how to get out of it. And so because I was at rock bottom, I didn't have anything. I started thinking like, yo, what do literally what you was talking about earlier? Like what, what can I do to get out this hole? You know, and not only to get out this hole, but how do I make sure that this hole is never something I experience again? Right. And you know, cause I think it's one thing to get out. Like you said, you went up and they went mm-hmm. down. They have to redo it again. Right. But I'm like, to a point where we don't, when we fall, it's not that bad of a fall. So I decided to go ahead and that's really where my entrepreneuring, my entrepreneurial spirit started developing. I was like, yo, there's no way somebody, if somebody else is giving me income, they also control how fast or slow I can get something done. So I decided at that moment to go ahead and I got to go build a business. I have to go and build a business where I can go and get myself out of this situation. And so that's where I started developing my habit for um, reading, um, appreciation for mentorship. I would stalk people online that's successful, like legally, like doing mad research, Mm -hmm. living on Wikipedia. I know people like go on Wikipedia all the time and they don't really realize how many sources I'm the one who goes to the sources gotta click on the sources I go all the way to the bottom and I read all 45 of them and that's how I found mentors I found celebrity mentors that I will befriended because of that one technique Mm -hmm. of just finding that so really like I I just think it goes back to like what is it that I have that I have and then going ahead and saying like I not only what you have but I have to do it though Mm -hmm. like you know there's no other choice there's no calling mom there's no calling friends there's no calling all 
all those things. But the beautiful thing about that is the minute you become extraordinary in that one time, you now have that label forever. And because of that, you can always tap back. I've every ask any millionaire and tell them this one simple thing. If you lost all your money tomorrow, how long would it take you to get it back? Most of them will tell you half a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how you get it took you your whole life to get it. How you could build it in just half a year? Because I've developed these habits, my mindset, the principles, all those things come to play. So I really like what you said. I think there's moments where we fall down. But if we realize that the lessons that are in those things literally will set you free. But if we but you have to actually look for it, though. Right. If I look and I'm so busy f- focused on my problems, I could never see the promise. So where did you look first to get out of that neg- negative 25? Because that's an immediate problem, right? Um, <laughs> you know, so at that time I was doing personal training. OK, so I literally went. I said, y'all got to make this money real quick. So I put up an ad on Craigslist for personal training. And I was like, well, what would make personal training attractive? Someone not having to go to the gym. So I wrote a copy and stuff and said, I would come to you. And I knew I had to get out of the negative 25. So I discounted it. So maybe not charging what the the going rate Mm -hmm. is, but I needed to get out of the hole. And so when you need to get out of the hole, there's, you don't have time to like fix your hair. Right. You know, my my thing gotta be right. No, there's no time for that. Like you have to just go and do the work and you do it ugly. Do it ugly. I think people too much like, y'all want to look cute. Like, listen, you're going to get some scars. You're going to have some bruising with it. But at the same time, like once you get to that point, it gets easier. But the beginning is the artist. Like when you're getting out of that hole and T.D. Jake said this in one of his books, it was like the um, a plane burns the most fuel in the beginning of the flight. Wow. So when we're in that hole, if we just accept the fact that it's going to be hard, then it's like, if I told you I'm going to hit you, you kind of prepare for the hit. But when you don't know it's coming, you're like, oh, like there's a, there's a there's a the hit and then the shock from it. Right. But if I have my mindset right already, it changes the game completely. Absolutely. So you mentioned your wife. Mm-hmm. How long have you been married? November is going to make four years. OK, so congratulations. Thank you. For making it because in this day and age, listen, that, you listen, can say listen, making it this uh, far. Listen, people um, like pull that parachute <laughs> like I'm out. I thought this is what I wanted, but nah, it's, it's been a year. I'm done. Um, so anytime I see is marriages that are working and people are putting in the work to make it work. I'm impressed by that. Yeah. Um, but we all know marriage and, you know, being a husband, that has a, that's a different set of requirements and challenges than being a single man try to, trying to build a business. Yeah. Did you ever waver and say, maybe I need to go get a nine to five because that's more stable and I have a, a wife now? Yes. Um, a matter of fact, like, and I said, this is why I truly believe that you got to make sure you marry the right person. Mm, absolutely. Because I think most people, listen, the looks fade, the substance and the character of the person stays the same. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it grows over time. But when I actually, I was faced with a position where I was working for someone and was making decent money and but I wanted to do my passion like what I really love to do and it was starting to become a conflict where I was like basically double minded and mm-hmm. nothing not, the job that I had wasn't really getting my attention so my boss basically goes and gives me an ultimatum and says you got a choice to make like you, you we're going to need you to come to the office more often you're not going to have the freedom to be doing the speeches that you had, you was doing in the past and I was like yo I got to go talk to my wife about this like I'm married now right if I was single right. I'm like oh, I'm moving back with my mom like she loved me like I'm, I'm Haitian <laughs> so they don't they don't mind leaving like I tell people all the time they think I'm joking I was on lock until I was like 30 <laughs> listen <laughs> I have learned those Haitian moms no, are no, no joke I was on lock like I'm talking about like people like yo I went out I came home at three 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 <laughs> 
That's a call if I was coming home at 11. Like, so like, so it was, a, I would, I could easily go back to that. But when you have to go and deal with like, yo, we live in an apartment and you knew in your marriage and things like that, that's not the time to take risks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I talked to my wife. I said to her, this is a situation I'm facing. And she asked me a very simple question. What kind of husband are you going to be based on those two scenarios? Wow. So if you stay at the job, am I going to get the, the husband that's sitting on the sofa moping? Or am I like, or if you go for your your dream am I gonna get the excited guy like we, we, we you know we struggle we could struggle but I want you to be good because I gotta deal with that person so she was like I want the happy version of you whatever that means and I was like well that means I'm gonna quit the job and, wow and and she was like you see when people make vows they say for better or for worse they say I'll do whatever all this stuff so my, at that point she was like if we gotta eat crackers on a box as long as you happy and I'm with you I'm good I was like yo like I know you say that but like we all say that <laughs> in front of two People. When you got the fly suit on, oh, the no, gown, yeah, and the you gown, know, you ain't gonna great. say that. But so when she said that, that's the day I realized who I married. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, so it becomes a whole next level. And she allowed me the freedom. I'll be honest, I, I want to tell people the true the true story. She paid rent for six months straight. Wow. New York City. Yeah, that's good. We're not in Tuscaloosa. Nah, like. nah, we're not talking about no two bedroom for six hundred dollars. Right. So we're talking about seventeen, eighteen hundred by herself. Wow. I didn't have no six month, five month, three month, seven package, whatever. No, I had, I got one month of money after I quit and that's it. And she was holding it down and um, honestly never made me feel like I was less of a man. Never said, yeah, what type of better household you are. I don't feel secure in this relationship. So I was truly blessed like to be able to have a wife who was like, yo, you know, we're going to struggle through this because I believe what you believe. And I think if you can have that, it changes the game completely. Right. And when you talk about marrying the right person, I think it's important, too, because there are a lot of women who pour into it and invest in what is not good ground, for lack of a better word. And yeah. not sowing into good ground at yeah, the yeah, church, yeah. you know what I mean, right? <laughs> yes. So, but if you didn't just say, I'm going to leave my job and, you know, pursue this dream over here, you said, I'm going to work this right. and work it consistently and have a plan and strategize and treat it like my full-time job. And yeah. I think that's the differentiating factor. She married the right person in that she married someone that not only she wanted to be happy, but she knew was going to do the work as well. We, we just had this conversation a week ago and she was telling me, if you had told me your dream was something that I'd never seen you already working for, mm-hmm. there was no way I was going to support you. Makes sense. It, 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 she was like, yo, the tree has to have some kind of fruit growing. If I don't see you planting, I don't see you watering. There's no way I'm going to go ahead and be like, yeah, you want to be a, yeah, I'm going to be a rapper or whatever the case may be. And be like, you're like, what rap? You ain't, you don't, you, you have no SoundCloud. You don't even have a track. Like what right. you mean? This is your dream but she saw where I was already going with it and she realized like man if he's doing that kind of work and he's splitting his time I'm gonna trust that he's gonna figure it out and that was one of the things she told me from early on she was like yeah I feel like whenever you put your mind on something you do it mm-hmm. and I did, it, it even worked in the relationship because like right, so, scooped her up, yeah, right? I, I scooped her up after she told me why can't we just be friends so what yeah she told me that I was like man I'm in the friend zone and I'll tell this people, especially the church folks there's nothing wrong with the friend zone just don't be in the brother <laughs> sister zone. Once I call you brother, you know, sister Delisha, we done. That's like, it. If they call you brother Gio, that's, that's incest. Um, but, <laughs> but but if you got the friend zone, I, I'm, I'm proof positive that you can get out of that. And be okay with building that. That friendship 
foundation to me is what often keeps the marriage sustainable over time because you built those blocks first, but people just want to skip all over the friend. Oh, no, no. And, 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 but you spend, if I spend 24 hours with my wife, I might, the amount of time we spend with each other is majority friendship. Mm -hmm. You're like, that's my buddy watching TV, Netflix. So people go and say, yo, you know, the dating, the restaurants, the intimacy and all these different things. But like the majority of the time, you're not doing that. Right. So if you don't have the friendship, you really don't have a foundation. So those things fade. Those things may be inconsistent because of seasons. But if that's your friend, though, like your best friend, then you could really sustain a lot of things. And I think I would tell people almost like I'm going to write a book one day about this. Mm -hmm. Um, Purposely getting into the friend zone, not trying to avoid it, but purposely getting into it so that we can go and not have 50 percent of marriages or whatever and then divorce because we were never friends. All we was was like lovers. Right. Things like that. Like, yeah, like that's cool. But something's going to go wrong in your relationship. I'm going to need you to start working on that book. (laughs) A lot of people out here who don't get that concept. It's it's huge. It's huge. And I really believe if we can. I I just can't stress it enough. Like, I just just do it. Get get in the friend zone. (laughs) You heard it here first. Get in the friend zone. So tell us what's on the horizon for Gio. (sighs) Um, Right now, we, we, we had we launched this thing in California. We tested it out in Brooklyn a year ago, which is helping young people become authors. Wow. So we what we did, I realized that we had a struggling school that was losing motivation. And um, I told them, hey, let's do a book project and let them write about their dreams and their goals and what things are stopping them from making that a reality. So we did this project with the school. It worked out very well. We actually did it in California now. So now what I'm looking to do is bring this out nationwide to more places, having people use the power of story to unlock their potential, to remove the barriers. So that's really what we're working on now. Um, that's I'm excited about it. The potential is huge. Um, the results have been positive. Um, so that's really the big thing um, I'm doing. And obviously speaking is my bread and butter. I mm-hmm. love doing that. I lo- um, so I'm definitely looking to do some big events um, in the tri-state area. So I'm going to be looking for venues and all these things like that because I just feel like we can never have enough of it. Like we can right. never have enough of um, positivity. We can never have enough of someone challenging us to change our perspective or like you said with the self you know perception to have somebody just say like yo just check your attitude like Mm -hmm. you can't go and keep counting sour grapes and all these things and then saying why you life ain't so sweet like you 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 have to change how you look at the situation so i think if we can challenge people to do more of that i'll keep doing it with social media i'll keep doing it with events i'll keep doing it with future books and things like that to make sure that i keep doing it because i feel like that's the reason i was born like to go ahead and make sure that people don't check out our life too early and there's a lot of walking zombies in this world where I like that <laughs> you know so that's my job I like that uh, people don't check out of life too early because I'm seeing that happen a lot so you're, you're helping people build muscle and get fit now it's just the, those positivity muscles yeah, yeah. just yeah. different different space it's a different space that's a good look what you just did there I'm giving you that for free Sheesh. I'm not even gonna charge you for that Sheesh. one <laughs> that was good. So before we let you get out of here, where can people find you online? So you can go online on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's all the same. Geo Doris. So G-E-O-D-E-R-I-C-E. Uh, my website for speaking is geospeaks.com. And also I'm working on this wonderful thing just for your listeners. This is going to be when this is going to be literally you're going to be able to find this golden nugget. What I'm doing is I'm building a report where we're revealing what are some of the blind spots that people have 
have that is preventing them from being able to see that promising future. Yes. So literally, um, it's almost done. You could be, you'll, by the time they listen to this, they'll be able to see it. It's going to be at geospeaks.com slash December 26er. And that's December 26ER. Yes. So exclusive to, this is our first like exclusive deal no, no, for our listeners. Exclusive. Let me tell you something. I'll, I was coming in here and I was and I was recording something on Snapchat. That's where I practice my Insta stories because mm-hmm. no one watches it on Snapchat. <laughs> so I get all my rehearsals and then when it looks good, then I go to Instagram. So I was I recorded and I literally said, like, it's one thing to be a guest. Everyone wants to be a guest on a podcast because right. it's, it's, it's great for Brandon. But it's different when you feel like you're an honored guest. Like, I love this concept. I've told you this. I want to make sure we get this on recording. I was talking to my wife like I created this podcast. <laughs> I said, babe, I'm going to be on this podcast called December 26er. I don't get it. Let me explain. <laughs> I start telling her, you know how I want, and I'm listening, I feel like I was reading word for word, but I didn't even look off the website. Mm-hmm. I, I, I looked the website afterwards, beforehand. I said, oh, babe, like, you know on December 24th when you go, you're looking around and you're like getting dumb hype, you see the gifts and you're about getting hype, you want to open it early and then you wait till midnight and then midnight comes and all the papers all over the place and we're looking at our gifts. Um, What happens on the day after Christmas? Oh, nothing. Everybody go home, everybody just chill. I said, yeah, but why it got to be like that though? <laughs> Why can't every day be like the 25th? Why can't we have the anticipation of the 24th? She's like, never thought about it that way. That's what the podcast is about. She's like, <laughs> so, you know, so I'm honored just to be on here because I really believe that um, it, it fits right in with what I was telling people. Like, it's just a perspective change. Like every Absolutely. day could be that day if we choose it to be so. And you give people the opportunity to be able to go and engage in conversations and have them actually literally ask themselves that question. Why doesn't more days look like that? And see, Gio, you're the kind of brand evangelist that we need. No, Absolutely. I love this. And we're going to, I'm going to blast this. I'm going to make sure people know about this. I believe in this. I actually listen to it. Um, so that's important. I listen to the podcast. I do my homework. I didn't go and say like, what the heck is this? I literally love what you're doing. Please keep on doing it. The results will come. Well, you have encouraged me tonight. Cause I told you I was a little tired when we started. this. <laughs> <laughs> that's me keeping it real. I was like, Oh, here we go again. Nah, this is amazing. Please do not stop. But this has been an awesome conversation. I'm going to keep forging ahead last question I'll ask is your book available on your website Amazon it is it is available on my website Mm -hmm. so if you go to geospeaks.com slash book or if you go on amazon.com or barnesandnobles.com you could go ahead and find it there and I'm actually working on a brand new book that's going to be coming out next month called Geo's Mm -hmm. Gems which is literally going to have 52 gems that you could go and process meditate on for a whole week act on it and hopefully turn your life around awesome so listeners please get online and look for Geo check out his book, both the one that is out and be on the lookout for the one that's coming up. And do not forget to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.